Now, often women will come to me almost ashamed even of reaching out for support. They're like, I should be able to figure this out on my own. Or like, I know everybody else is coping and that's just not true. So let's just say that here in this conversation of like normalizing. It's not true that everybody else has it all figured out. It's not true that everyone else like never has self-doubt or never has like crippling anxiety or never doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning. Like that all makes sense in the world that we're living in, particularly in this moment in time. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Maud Berger-Smith. Maud is a woman's burnout coach, a mother of two, a wife of one, and a certified sex, love, and relationship coach, an MA degree holder, and a corporate world survivor. Maud supports hardworking, weary women who are tired of being tired, identify and change the cycles of overwhelm and overwork so that they can thrive again in relationships, in work, and in life. For more details on her one-on-one program, check out coachingwithmaud.com slash program. Maud, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? I am excited about being here and talking about women and their place in the world. I'm passionate about that. And I'm also a little bit nervous. This is my first like podcast with video. Like what's that even called? A vodcast? A vlog? I'm not sure. (laughs) It's like a vlog. (laughs) I feel like I'm one of the cool kids now. (laughs) It's definitely very different when the cameras are on. And what I love about it is that you can see the expression of the person speaking. You can see Mm. the passion. Mm, mm. and it feels like we're just having a conversation like I'm almost forgetting that it's recorded I'm just looking into your eyes (laughs) exactly it makes it a lot more comfortable for sure for sure so what inspired you to become a burnout coach for women so it's interesting and I've been thinking about this because um so I've always been interested in humans and relationship and communication and that's a large part of you know, my studies and my bachelor's and my master's. And then I worked in training and development for a long time in the corporate world. Um, And I got relatively senior in my company and I was seeing other women at that level who have ticked all of the boxes of like what we call success, right? And were so exhausted and so tired and so fatigued and was like, you know, is this it? Is this doing like the right thing, right? Um, And then likewise, in studying relationship and sex, love and communication, like also looking at long term monogamous couples, which again is like society's definition of success and seeing a lot of like exhaustion and unhappiness and disconnection there and thinking, you know, I want to look at this more closely. I want to look at like what we're being sold um, and then whether that's actually serving us as humans. That is amazing. And it's so true that we define success by having these relationships, by what we do in work and the position that we hold. And when we get there, it is so tiring. It is so exhausting to try to balance all of it. And you're told that you have to. And we have a lot of shame surrounding women for who they have to be. And on top of that, we have a lack of access to essential resources that we need and are often diagnosed or labeled with hysteria. Why do you think all of this has been normalized in our society? 
It's so interesting, um, like thinking about the external factors, right? Because, and I think you and I connected over a post on LinkedIn where we were talking about burnout or exhaustion almost making sense in a world that has systemic bias that that pays women less, you know, for the same work that men do, for um, having fewer women in power and decision making and politics in the misogynistic kind of violence and domestic violence that we have, the rape statistics, the body image pressure, you know, the time that we're spending in unpaid labor and caring. And then we're thinking like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me that I'm not coping with all of this, you know? And when we put all of that in the external perspective, and then we think about, well, what are the messages that we're getting as women of how we, you know, as you were saying, should be, you know, I should just deal with all of this and I should also, you know, look amazing and, you know, have the certain body and like always be perky and always be friendly and always have a smile on the face. Um, no wonder we're all exhausted, right? <laughs> exactly. And like you said, the messaging to women, and we see a lot of that through social media, mm. through the products that they advertise to us, through mm. how I don't want to say that people purposely put out pictures of their lives looking so perfect, but people do put out pictures of all the good that's going on. So then Mm -hmm. as women, we see people who are balancing work and some are balancing schoolwork and having families. And it seems like, how is everyone else doing it? How is everyone else handling all this on top of having the perfect body, an amazing social life? And it feels so draining when you can't keep up. Yeah. Yeah. So there are two pieces there that like are coming up for me. Number one, like that entire industries would fall down if women actually enjoyed being in their own bodies and felt like they were enough. And I'm such a kind of anti-capitalist at heart and anti-consumer culture that I'm just like, yes, let's like rebel against the system with this compassion and acceptance of who we are right now without buying a thousand products and services that are going to make me look you know, shinier, glowier, you know, whatever, yeah, <laughs> you know, take your pick of the, of the air words. Um, and the second part is like, I think that's really important of, you know, often women will come to me almost ashamed even of reaching out for support. They're like, I should be able to figure this out on my own or like, I know everybody else is coping and that's just not true. So let's just say that here in this conversation of like normalizing it's not true that everybody else has it all figured out it's not true that everyone else like never has self-doubt or never has like crippling anxiety or never doesn't want to get out of bed in the morning like that all makes sense in the world that we're living in particularly in this moment in time that is so powerful it is so true that we're all kind of struggling and Mm -hmm. we feel like we're the only ones We feel like we can't keep up with everyone around us and all these ads targeting us, like you said, telling us to be, to glow more, to be prettier, to have more makeup on, to look a certain way, to be thin enough, to work out more. There's all these things that they're targeting at us. And as women, we're taught to be strong. We're taught to be the home caretakers. And now we have to go to work and have executive leadership positions And we're taught that we can't complain because then it's nagging, then it's being dramatic, then it's just wanting attention. So it's Mm. so hard to want to reach out for support because the whole system is telling you that if you do, you're wrong and you're not good enough. Right. It's kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? Like if you're reaching out for support, you're weak. Um, If you're not reaching out for, for support, you're like too independent or 
you know, um, bossy or dominant. So I feel like, you know, there's, there's so much mixed messaging that we're getting around being a powerful woman or being a woman that's asking for things or being a woman that is resting or taking time to relax that, you know, we talk about burnout as, um, you know, a, a thing that's like, you know, you've got it and then you don't have it, but actually the patterns that are leading there, the overworking, the wanting to control, the wanting to be perfect, the people pleasing, the lack of boundaries, these are really deep ingrained patterns that we have that often date back to, you know, being a two-year-old and told to like cross your legs and look pretty and sit in the corner and not make a big noise and not climb the trees with the boys that, you know, unwinding that and actually like banishing burnout for good and living a different life that is filled with energy and relaxation. That is big, big work, right? (laughs) It is. And like you said, going back to when you're a child and all the things they told you, a good girl doesn't get dirty. A good girl Mm -hmm. sits with her legs crossed and stays silent. A good girl doesn't talk back. A good girl doesn't assert herself. Mm -hmm. And then you grow up with this idea of, who am I? Am I not a good girl? Am I not a good person? And it creates such an identity crisis as you get older. And then you're afraid of everyone else's judgment of you and what people are thinking of you by wanting to stand up for yourself. And then Mm -hmm. you don't want to advocate for yourself. So when you go to a doctor and they kind of write you off as the hysteria label, you don't Mm -hmm. know how to advocate for yourself because you were taught not to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that shows up so radically in in medicine, right? Like, as you were saying, like going to the doctor and that example of like, you know, women being in chronic pain and then psychologized almost, you know, as like, you know, hysterical or too much or, you know, we talked, um, you know, previously about that, that study that was done of women who were diagnosed in with hysteria over, over centuries who actually were suffering from chronic pain, whether that be MS or, you know, pain in their pelvic area or like chronic headaches that just weren't even being looked at because the surface diagnosis, the dismissal of women has been so widespread, even in the medical industry. Exactly. And it, people don't realize that that still happens every day. I can tell you for the past eight years, I've been telling doctors that my legs go numb and I collapse. It took eight years for a doctor to actually believe me. They were like, you're being dramatic. Everyone's legs fall asleep. I was like, not when they're running, not when they're walking. But no one believed me until a few months ago. And I think that's so common for women is that people don't believe us. They just think Mm -hmm. we're looking for attention. And that Mm -hmm. goes into mental health in a huge way as well. Because when someone dies by suicide, we're like, why didn't they reach out? I was here for them. I would have helped them. But when they were reaching out, when they were trying to explain how they were feeling, trying to advocate for themselves, we called them dramatic. We said they were making it up. We said it was fake. So they were attention seeking. We do this so often and it's so detrimental. Like you said, so many people don't get the treatment that they need because we ignore them. We write them off. It's almost like this massive gaslighting of women and their and their existence in their body, right? We have the same thing around, you know, painful menstruation, or we have the same thing around menopause, the fact that that's not even talked about in the workplace. I mean, these are huge things. And women are 50% of humanity. And the reason that life exists on this planet. So, 
um, you know, I'm so grateful that we are able to have these conversations, that we're able to connect with each other across the world, that we're able to, you know, say these things out loud. Um, and, and that's part of the change. You know, I've got to believe that, you know, these steps that we're taking and these conversations that we're having all make a difference. I completely agree, because like you said, we don't talk about a lot of topics at all. And I love that you brought up menstruation because women go through four phases every month. Every single month, our hormones go through four different phases of rising, of peaking, of falling, and of depleting. And that can lead to major burnout when you're trying to be and do everything and your hormones are dropping or they're completely depleted. You don't have that same energy, but we don't talk about that in the workplace. 100%. Yeah. And it's so interesting because we talk about biohacking, right? And we talk about peak productivity. And um, I made a comment on someone's LinkedIn post the other day. And and, and this particular person is a, is a man who was talking about the circadian rhythm. You know, are you productive early in the morning? Are you productive in the afternoon? And that's kind of a a well-recognized cycle. But that very consistent 28-day menstrual cycle is not something that we're taking advantage of or that we even know about, let alone be able to optimize it. And in talking to women about their particular cycle and whether they're tracking it, what I'm also discovering is that a lot of women don't have a cycle because they have been taking hormones, supplements, and pills since they were 16 years old, and they don't actually have the experience of an ovulation, a menstruation, a luteal phase, and all of those things. So there are, you know, they're suppressing their body cycles with hormones and they have side effects. In fact, there was a hormonal contraceptive invented for men a couple of years ago, but it was not tolerated because the side effects of uh, mood swings, weight gain, loss of libido uh, was not acceptable. So it's just an interesting thing that a lot of women are on this contraceptive Um, don't have a cycle, aren't using that, are quite disconnected from their bodies and are then, you know, push, push, pushing. And in fact, are celebrating the fact that they don't have to stop and bleed, right? Like that's an inconvenience to them. Um, And it just shows how kind of far away we've come from allowing rest, (laughs) you know, allowing and honoring of seasons that there's a time to work hard and a time to rest and a time to live and a time to die and a time to have day and a time to have night. Like we've got so far away from that and into the like, go, 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 go all of the time. We really have. And I love how you brought up the men's contraceptive and how if it's unacceptable for men, but it's so normal for women and it's expected of women. Women are responsible for making sure they don't get pregnant. And we put so much on women. They ha- we have to do everything. And the men kind of get that just societal standard of they get to be the boss, they get to be in charge, and the world kind of works for them or works towards them and works mm. so far away from women. So when we talk about burnout, we often talk about it in regards to enhancing productivity levels. But it's so much more than that, especially for women. So what do you feel are some of the most important factors contributing to women's burnout? It's an interesting one because burnout is actually kind of defined by three major kind of pillars, right? When it was first coined as a term in 1975 or 73, whatever it was. The first one is emotional exhaustion. So like caring too much for too long. The second is depersonalization. So 
losing empathy for other people, not being able to relate uh, in the same way anymore. And the last one is that feeling of hopelessness, almost that decreased sense of accomplishment. So when we think about that in the context of being a woman and we think about emotional exhaustion and we think about the role that we often have of caring, right? Whether that be caring for everybody's birthday in the office or making sure that, you know, the bills are paid or caring for aging parents or caring for children or, you know, the unpaid labor in the home, that's often a responsibility and a kind of arena that women are more active in. So if you're caring all the time about everything, you know, that is, that's just a given <laughs> that you're going to get exhausted, you're going to be tired. Um, and so I think when we think about, you know, burnout, I think just to position the fact that it's like, just validating, right, that there, there are a lot of factors that are contributing to this, the world is tilted at an angle that you're going to be tired of caring, and there is a burden put on you. And I think just recognizing that also, you know, number one, helps us feel, feel more alone. And number two, can, gives us a, an opportunity to step back and think, okay, so if the world is tilted that way, what, where's my place in it? You know, do I just need to walk this road? Do I want to have different conversations? Do I want to make this transparent? Do I choose you know, less things or, you know, different things to put on my plate. Did I answer the question? I feel like I got a bit sidetracked there. You definitely did. And <laughs> what I love so much about what you said is how much we care. We care so deeply for everyone around us. And because we care so much, we want to help everyone. We want to please everyone. And then it becomes exhausting because we don't care for ourselves that same way. We push ourselves to the back burner so that we can be everything for everyone around us. And that is just so exhausting. And like we talked about at a young age, we're told who to be, how to feel and what not to be. So there's all these mm -hmm. internal factors making us not have to care, but wanting to care more because we want to live up to everything that we were told to be. And again, that's so exhausting trying to be what society has told you to be. Right. Especially when society is telling you to, to be two different things at the same time. And then you're like, you've got the internal war <laughs> inside of like, okay, am I now like sexy or am I now like uh, proper or am I now like powerful or am I now like too much? <laughs> am I too much or am I not enough? <laughs> exactly. And then there's a constant changing of trends. So sometimes it's all about body positivity. And then sometimes it's all about being as thin as you can possibly possibly be. Sometimes it's all about being the home caretaker. Sometimes it's all about being the successful businesswoman. The trends change so much. But how do we keep up with them? How do we be everything that everyone's telling us to be and just switch at the snap of a finger? Mm -hmm. And I feel like something here that may be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like self-care in itself can become almost another whip to chastise ourselves with. You know, it's like if I'm tired, if I'm burnt out, it's because I'm not self-caring enough. You know, I need to drink more green juices or like do more yoga and like meditate my way out of this. Right. So I feel like there's so many, you know, as you were saying, like so many trends and so many um, ways to be. And often we can then internalize that so that we've got like internal voices that are telling us all of the time, 
what we should be doing or saying or shouldn't be doing and saying. And so then even when we are, you know, taking the bubble bath in the self-care program that we've developed for ourselves, we're still going through that, you know, of like, oh, well, I really should have painted my toenails. I can see I haven't been for a pedicure in so long. Like my feet are so disgusting. Like no one's going to want to, you know, look at me in sandals, whatever it is. It's like this constant narrative in our minds um, that I often hear clients come to me with of like, I can't, you know, I can't quiet my head and it's becoming deafening. It's like, it's so loud. I'm exhausted from listening to myself all of the time. I've never thought of self-care from that perspective. And that is such an interesting perspective because there is so much shame on not having enough time to self-care and not mm. knowing what works for you and trying something that everyone else is into. Like meditation's a big thing. Then breath work is the big thing. And then bubble baths and all this, like treating yourself is the big thing. And when those don't work for you, it feels so devastating. Like I'm broken. Nothing's going to help me. Yeah. I feel hopeless and now I don't know what to do. Oh, I just need to do this more, right? Like, okay, like bubble bath, I'm working. I need a fucking bubble bath every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> How can I do more of this? Um, and I think, and I mean, like I'm not knocking, you know, meditation and yoga and all of those things. Like I love those things, but what is more important in my mind and my experience is like, what are the messages? What is the energy that I'm coming to this with? You know, am I doing this as like a beautiful nourishing experience for myself and like really taking time to enjoy it? Or is this another thing that I have to do in my day so that I've checked the box of self-care? Exactly. We use self-care kind of as like a punishment almost. Like it's something that we're forced <laughs> to do instead of something that we get to do and want to do. And when you look at it, like you said, from nourishing your body, it's such a different perspective and it's something you want to do and feel good doing. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like that caring nature, that kind of compassionate or accepting way of being with ourselves, like whether we are, you know, maybe we are hustling and we're, you know, needing to go shopping and then getting on a conference call. If we're doing that in a way where we're careful and caring with ourselves it can often feel easier than going through like a 90 minute hot yoga class where you're telling yourself all the time, you're fat, you're not good enough. You should be doing more yoga. You know, it's like the, the things that we're telling ourselves about the things that we're doing are almost more important than the things that we do. <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> exactly. And we don't even realize it. That's the worst part is that we don't realize how much we're criticizing ourselves, even for trying to take care of ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So as a burnout coach, when someone comes to you completely burnt out, how do you help them? What are some of the steps that you take? Because I think a lot of people think burnout is this overnight success and it's not, and it's a process. So what does a typical process look like? Right. So I generally work with women on a one-on-one -on -one basis over months, right? So my um, initial program is three months. Often women will um, continue that because it does take time to unwind the thinking and the behavioral patterns that have got us into burnout in the first place, right? There's, you know, there's something to be said for going to have a spa day or taking two weeks off work and regenerating. But if we want to live a life that feels energetic and relaxed and like we're thriving rather than dragging ourselves through the day, that's a different kind of journey. And it's a different kind of story. So often when I start with women, I 
investigate or kind of dive into with them what they want. Because often when we're thinking about stress management or burnout, we're thinking about getting away from the burnout or the stress, right? We're not imagining, well, what's the opposite of that for me? You know, does that mean a life filled with, you know, laughter? Or does it mean I feel really energized? Or does it mean I feel super focused? Like, what is the, 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 the goal that I'm working towards? And often we feel quite differently when we're moving towards something rather than just trying to get away from what is. Um, and then we would develop, okay, so if I want to get to a life that feels, you know, radiant and full of energy and exciting and fun and light and playful and all of those things, what comes up along the way? And often here's where, oh, well, I feel like, you know, I'll stagnate. I feel like I won't make any money. I feel like, you know, everyone, you know, maybe I won't be liked. My friends will stop talking to me. I feel like I'm too embarrassed to ask for what I want. And so then we'll dive into the challenges or the behavioral patterns or the thinking that are keeping someone stuck in a cycle of maybe saying yes to everybody else, uh, not taking time for themselves, maybe knowing the things to do, but not doing them, uh, not advocating for themselves, never resting, you know, inner critical voices, whatever it is. So slowly on the way to creating the life that they want, we're unwrapping and unpacking and working with the challenges that come up along the way. That is amazing. And like you said, we think about getting away from all the stress, but it's really about finding what you want. What you want is your why, it's your purpose, and it gives you a spiritual meaning and a reason to be here and a reason to care for yourself and a reason to learn how to say no and set boundaries. But if you don't know your why, and what you want, it is so hard to get to that point. Yeah, for sure. And what's interesting is sometimes when I talk to women around goal setting, you know, they say things like, oh, I've never been someone who, you know, has had goals or like, that's not something that I'm into. And then when we dive a little bit deeper, they do, they've got these huge goals of like, you know, I want to live a life that's filled with purpose, or I want to feel more loving, or I want to, um, be present in every moment to enjoy the things that I have. Those are goals, right? They're just not the typical, okay, so in five years time, I want to have achieved X and have, you know, this much money in my bank account and be driving this car. And I think often women um, have these kind of transformational desires or intentions, but they don't look like the typical five-year plan. Um, and those can be huge motivators right when we when we're thinking about like well that's the life I want to live I want to live a life that's filled with moments of presence where I'm enjoying all of the beautiful things that I have in my life that can be super motivating I'm really happy you brought that up because I remember in high school it was such a big thing is what's your five-year plan what's your 10-year plan and when it doesn't fit the norm and that idea of what is your success look like what are your benchmarks then we kind of judge people. So we're taught at a young age before we even really know completely who we are, uh, that our goals have to be traceable in a monetary way, in a numeric way where you can see it. And sometimes your goal is to be happy, to be around people who make you happy, to be able to love yourself the way you love others, to make a difference. But we judge people so hard for having goals like that. And we teach them that that's wrong and that's not okay. And that's not the goals they should be setting for themselves. And that is so draining, not knowing 
if your goals are right and what's in your heart is right, you feel like everything's wrong about you. Mm, mm, yeah. So permission here to have any goal you want. <laughs> and I think that is something that's, that's coming up for me there is, you know, often these goals are like life's work, you know? So, you know, yes, we can talk about, you know, coaching or like therapy um, or doing practices or like working with burnout in the short term. But often when you, when you have a goal like that of like living a life of presence or living a life where you feel super energized or, you know, feeling really loved and loving others, that's something that we do for the rest of our lives. So also putting that in the perspective of like, you know, I don't need to do it all in the next 90 days. It's not a smart task. I need to get checked off. And there will be times where it feels easier and times when it feels more challenging. And like, all of that is okay. Exactly. It doesn't, it's not like a 90 day goal. It is a lifetime and a lifetime of passion, of purpose, of wanting to be someone. And that is so amazing. And yet it's something that we make so terrible. So as women, it's so important to realize that just because your goals don't, or even as men, like whoever you are, just because your goals don't align with society's standards, it's okay. It doesn't make them bad goals. It doesn't make you abnormal. It doesn't make you someone who's not good enough. It doesn't make you all the labels that people throw at you. It makes you unique and it makes you so valuable and worth so much. Yeah. I mean, I think an interesting thing is also just to look around and say, okay, well, when we talk about society, like, is it actually working for humans? And actually, I would argue that it's not. And so if we have goals that fall out of society or like ways of life or behaviors or thinking, you know, maybe we are, we are the, the unbroken ones, the ones that are, you know, functioning as well as we can in a society that's kind of broken and focused on things that are making us sick. Exactly. So what advice would you have for someone who's starting to realize that who would they be if society didn't tell them and they're facing burnout, they're facing this kind of identity crisis of who are they and who do they want to be? What advice would you have for them to start exploring all of that? Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting conversation to be had here as well around like access and privilege, right? Like how much access does that person have to um, coaches, to therapists, to information? And, and I, you know, I, I'm a big advocate in like using what we have. And so some things that we all have are deep breaths, you know, coming back to a rested state with our nervous system, um, walking, you know, exercising, dancing, listening to music, um, shaking stress out of our bodies. If we're able to connect with people that we love, um, that is, you know, a huge, um, a huge thing for our nervous system to rest into. Obviously, if there is access to um, support, whether that be through coaching or through therapy, um, then that is something that, you know, people can explore as well. There's also an amazing book by Emily and Amelia Nagoski called Burnout. If anyone wants to check that out and look it up. But I think if you are somebody who is questioning, you know, where you fit into society is also to kind of flip that around and think about like, you know, some of the things that we were talking about is like, do I even want to fit in? Does it, 
who does it serve for me to fit in? Who's making, who's profiting off me fitting into society? And what does that all look like in a broader scheme of things? Exactly. And I love how you brought up accessibility because a lot of people don't have access to treatments, to medications, to supplements, to coaches, to therapists, to counselors, psychiatrists. A lot of people don't have access to that. So they feel like they can't get help. And they don't realize that there's something they can do for themselves while waiting for access, while hoping that they can get access. Like you said, deep breaths, that's something we all have. We all have the ability to journal our thoughts and try to figure them out and figure out who we are. And a coach, a therapist, a counselor, anyone is an amazing guide. But if you don't have access to it, it doesn't mean you have to suffer alone. There are so many amazing communities out there. There are crisis hotlines that can help you and provide you with resources that are free. And you just, you don't have to suffer alone. And I think that's such an important thing that people who don't have access to people to guide them and help them feels that they have to be alone in it. Yeah, yeah. And I think also just having these conversations and, and, and talking about how many people do feel burnt out, you know, at all levels of society, right, from, you know, the very top to the very bottom, there, there's a human kind of suffering that's here. Um, that doesn't make us separate to everything that's working, it like makes us human, you know, I sometimes feel like pain or questioning or, um, you know, rethinking our place or like feeling tired or feeling exhausted is also part of the experience of being here. And there's so many people that are in there. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to say like, you are definitely not alone if you're listening to this and feeling like it's just me. Exactly. It's all part of being human. Maude, you have been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all this beautiful insight. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me.